0: Okay, I'm obsessed with Audible because it lets you enjoy all of your audio entertainment in one app. As an Audible member, you can choose one title a month to keep from their entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. And with female writers and heroines, celebrity narration, multicast productions, Audible has you covered for every type of excitement that you're looking for, including true crime and mystery, and I know all of you love that too. For example, right now, I'm listening to None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash reality or text reality life to 500, 500 that's audible.com slash reality or text reality life to 500, 500. If debit is your go-to card discover thinks it's time for you to get rewarded too. So check out discover cashback debit, a game changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right, cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's gas, groceries, or dinner with friends, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit, Discover Bank, member FDIC. The Amazing Kate Casey. Welcome back to another episode of Reality Life with Kate Casey. Hope that you've had a great week so far. You have to watch part three of The Real Housewives, a Beverly Hills reunion this week because Andy Cohen asks one of my questions. So make sure you watch out for that. City Confidential is back on Annie. Such a great show if you love true crime stuff. Each episode tells the story of one crime, the investigation and the ripple effect it had on a community. So it begins and you learn about where this crime is committed. And I have to tell you, maybe it's this show, maybe it's all these shows, but I'm telling you, I feel like all these crimes are committed in Florida and California. I'm telling you. But it's a great show and you've got to check that out. 48 Hours Mystery, two weeks ago, had a great episode. It's called Linda's Story. And it looks at the murder of 11-year-old Linda O'Keefe, which is a case that has been unsolved for so many years and took place here in my hometown of Newport Beach. So Tracy Smith investigates this cold case in the episode. Basically, Linda disappeared after she had called her mother for a ride home. Her mom told her that she was busy and said, you have to walk home. She was in summer school. So witnesses reported seeing Linda talking to a man in a turquoise van on a street corner. The following morning, her body was found along the back bay, which is like a nature trail. So there were very few clues about what happened. And after years of working on the case, the detectives eventually ran out of leads and the case went cold. So they came up with this brilliant idea. On the 45th anniversary of the day that she disappeared, the police department launched a series of tweets in a thread telling the story of her disappearance, but in her voice, which I watched in real time. So it's like, you know, it's the morning time. I'm Linda. I'm about to go off to summer school. And it goes throughout the day. Well... They eventually found out who the killer was based on genetic genealogy and the help of CeCe Moore, who I've interviewed before. She's amazing. So basically, people that submit their DNA for any of these DNA ancestry connection sites, when they do that, they allow DNA from crimes to be matched up. And that's how they found the killer. They were able to connect from you know, one of their connected relatives. So the gentleman that did this, I shouldn't say gentleman, but the man that did it moved off to Colorado. He had a little bit of a rap sheet already and he went on to have a family. I mean, just living in a suburban town and to find out that he had done this. So as I mentioned, it's in Newport Beach and I had heard a little bit about it, but just to hear the interviews with the classmates, it's just heartbreaking. And then they show you the corner where she disappeared from. And then I realized my friend lives around the corner. So I text her, Nicole, do you know about this case of Linda O'Keefe? She's like, oh, do I know? I only think about it every single day. So it's wild because I drive past that corner all the time. And now I can't unshake that, that this little girl, you know, almost like 48 years ago had just been talking to some man on a corner and she disappeared. So look out for that episode. It was 48 hours mystery about two weeks ago and it's called Linda's Story. This episode so excited about Eddie Lucas is the most charming guy from Below Deck. Below Deck is that Emmy-nominated series that covers the life of the people that work on a yacht. And it's always hilarious because it's the interpersonal communication between the captain and the yachties, but also the charter guests who are often crazier than the yachties. So this one, this season begins this Monday. It's set on the stunning waters of St. Kitts in the Caribbean. And it's like, listen, if I'm not going to go on vacation for a while, at least I can watch the show, right? So Eddie is back and in his new role as first officer, he's worked his way up and Rachel's back. She's the chef. She's trying to redeem herself after last charter season and a fresh group of yachties. And of course, Captain Lee, who's hilarious. So you got to watch Below Deck. And it just starts this week and you can dip into it. If you've never watched a show before, you're going to love it. And you're going to love Eddie. So I was so excited to track him down. He lives in Baltimore, a man after my own heart. So that is a great interview. And then House of Secrets, The Berari Decks is a three-part series on Netflix. My friend Chris DeRosa was like, have you seen it? I said, a three-part series on Netflix. You had me at Hello. So this one explores the theory surrounding the demise of 11 members of the same family in India who died on June 30th of 2018. This, when I tell you, was the biggest story in India and then trickled out to everywhere else in the world because it was the most bizarre sequence of events. So this series reopens the case file with the help of police and journalists. This family were like any other middle-class family. They were settled and focused on a better future until a death in 2007, Shook them to their core. So while those who saw the family from outside felt they had found solace in spirituality, what happened inside the four walls of the house may never be known because there's no one left to explain. So in the morning of July 1st, this police officer reaches the house at 7:18 a.m. because they noticed that no one was coming in and out, and they hadn't seen, you know, anybody in the neighborhood. So a few minutes after police control room call was made, the police officer pushed a few people crowding the narrow lane and took the steps leading to the scene of the crime. On the first floor of the house, the bodies were found hanging in a circular formation. The grandmother was found dead on the floor in the adjacent room, and the deaths, initially suspected to be a case of murder because of tied limbs, blindfolds, and gag mouths, baffled the investigators after they discovered... 11 diaries scribbled with notes detailing the situation. So based on the diary entries, the police suspected it may be a case of a ritual gone wrong, leading to what could be called a mass suicide, but that perhaps it wasn't meant to end in death. It was just a part of a ritual. So the police said that the diaries were dictated by one of the sons, Lalit, who believed that the spirit of his father, the one who had died in 2007, was communicating with him and instructing him to perform this banyan tree worship for the betterment of the family it is so strange it is so interesting and i know a lot of you like psychological thrillers and true crime stories and this one's right up your alley you're going to definitely think about it for a couple of days it's not for the faint of heart as chris says but definitely one to watch and it's again called house of secrets the barari deaths three part series on Netflix. So here we go with Eddie Lucas from Below Deck and Chris DeRosa helping me review House of Secrets, The Barrari Deaths. I know everybody right now is on a health kick, and that's why I want to tell you about Roe Body Program. Roe provides access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market. The Roe Body Program pairs a weekly shot with healthy lifestyle changes, so you can lose 15 to 20% of your weight in a year on average and actually keep it off. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Roe to help them lose weight. It could be you too. Row Body Program members have support throughout the process. Rose Partner handles all of the insurance paperwork to help get medication covered. If eligible for medication, patients have access to the provider on demand for any questions. And you can sign up online from the comfort of your own home and this means no scheduling a doctor's appointment, no commuting to the doctor's office and no waiting rooms. Average weight loss is 15 to 20% in 1 year with healthy lifestyle changes, BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roe.com slash kkc. Sign up today and you're going to pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's roco slash kkc. With DoorDash, there's something for everyone. You need a birthday gift? Check. Need to stock up on meals, sides, and drinks that your family loves? Also check. Pet ran out of food again? They've got it. Wellness essentials need a restock? It's a good thing they've got those too. The DoorDash app allows you to customize, substitute, schedule, and track your orders, as well as communicate with your shopper while receiving real-time updates. This has been a huge game changer for myself and for our family. Millions of people trust DoorDash for groceries, pet supplies, gifts, well-being, and more, and you should too shop with DoorDash and enjoy big savings. Use code Kate Casey to get 50% off up to $10 value on $15 minimum subtotal on your next convenience grocery or retail order for eligible users only terms apply. Eddie, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Okay, you got to tell me before we found you and you were truly like the Tom Hanks of Below Deck. (laughs) <laughs> where? Tell me how they found you and where you're from. You're from Chesapeake Bay, correct?
1: Well, I, li- I live on the Chesapeake Bay in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, and uh, But yeah, I live right in the city, Baltimore, Maryland. How they found me, that was a pretty wild, wild story. You know, season one, I didn't even know it, that this was an option. And it was never really my idea to be on television. I never was planning to try to do this type of gig. Um, but at the time, you know, I was working, I was out of college and, uh, I was working at an outdoor store and selling hiking boots and rain gear. Um, and I had my captain's license prior. Uh, and I was tired of working the, the real retail life. And if anybody's ever worked retail life, they know how horrible it can be. But I, uh, so I put my CV out there, you know, I put my resume out there, gave it a bunch of, uh, crew finding agencies and everything like that, looking for other jobs on ships. Uh, and one day while I was at work, I was back in the warehouse looking for a pair of hiking boots from an exceedingly rude customer. I, uh, I got a phone call and they asked me if I was still actively looking for a position on a crew. And, uh, you know, they kind of explained the boat that they were on and, you know, the positions that they were looking to fill and they asked me if I was interested. And I said, yeah, I'm interested. And they're like, well, this is a little different. And then they went into the whole quote-unquote reality documentary series that they're filming about living and working aboard luxury yachts. And they wanted to know if I was still interested. And as I was standing in the warehouse with a pair of hiking boots under my arm and a, <laughs> a customer screaming at me from the, from the front saying,
2: where are my hiking boots?
1: I, I said, yes, yes, I'm, I'm very interested in get me out of here. And it was seriously two weeks later, I was on a flight to Fort Lauderdale and then from Fort Lauderdale to St. Martin. Uh, and then I had a camera in my face for the next six, seven weeks, and uh, and it's been a wild ride
0: ever since. Now, did your family say you have lost your mind, or were they excited about it?
1: Uh, some of my family were excited. Some of my family were had some trepidations about it for sure. You know, they were. Uh, you know, my father was like, "Oh God, I don't know about this, Eddie. <laughs> you know, don't don't embarrass the name." I think for the most part, I got away with that, and. And then after I did embarrass the name, you know, I took five years off, but hey, I'm back again. So it's good.
0: So, what the first question is: the season one, you started out as a deckhand. By seasons two and three, you were Mm -hmm. a bosun. And now Mm -hmm. you have a totally different job. So, for the lay people, what is the difference between those positions?
1: The difference between those positions: so a deckhand is low man on the totem pole. Uh, From there, you can move up to a bosun. Bosun pretty much runs the deck team, the deckhands. And, and then from bosun, you can move up. There's many, many positions, but in my, in my, uh, my line, I moved up to a first officer and the first officer is in charge is pretty much second in command and is in charge of not only deck operations, but all operations interior and exterior on the vessel. Uh, so that includes the, uh, housekeeping, the stews on the inside and the galley and, uh, and the deck team. And it's pretty much like a liaison between the team leads and the captain. And
0: after you film seasons one and two and then three of this show, how does this Uh change the trajectory of your life? Not just your career, but also your personal life. I mean, to go from selling hiking boots to then all of a sudden (laughs) people knowing who you are and losing a little bit of anonymity, how... How did that affect you?
1: Um, yeah, losing losing the privacy was something that I still struggle with today, and I, I honestly, I still I still fight very very hard to keep my private life private. Um, you know, I, I don't post a lot uh, about my private life on my social media, and you know, I don't kind of read into things or talk about you know too much of it. Um, so that's something I still hold very near and dear to me. Um, but yeah, I mean, going out and you know, in Baltimore, I'm, I'm really not recognized that much. And, and usually I grow a beard out. So people don't really recognize me that much. So, you know, I, I don't really kind of get into the whole kind of like, uh, you know, fame side of this whole thing, but, uh, you know, it's still like being on this show and being a part of it has been, uh, it's been really amazing. Um, and it's been, you know, there's been ups and downs about it for sure. Um, you know, and, and people, judging you and thinking that they, they know you just from watching you from six, seven weeks of filming, uh, can be difficult. And, but at the same time, you know, if you get into this, you know, you'd have to have a thick skin right off the bat.
0: Season three, I remember you had a girlfriend and then there was this, a little bit of a, a, a tryst and then you walked away and then you came back. How much of that affected wanting to walk away? Was that part of it? Or did you feel like? this TV thing, I I got everything that I want out of it right now, or was it like, I want a totally new adventure? Because I knew, I know that you worked in tugboats for a couple of years.
1: I still do. I'm driving one right now, actually. (laughs) Um, you know, it's that that, there's a lot of reasons that I took a step back and a big, a big reason was, you know, people kind of peering into the, my relationship at the time and Mm -hmm. making their own assessments and making their own judgments of my private life. but also I was trying to salvage the relationship that I had at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, you know, I, I realized I, the mistakes I had made and I wanted to make them right. And being on the television show, it, it, at that point, it had gotten the better of me and it, it did go to my head a little bit. And I did, I, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't staying true to who I really was. The reason I want to step back is because I wanted to kind of reassess who I was at that time and get back to what's important to me and the beliefs that are important to me. And, uh, I just kind of grabbed myself a little bit. So there was the whole kind of trying to establish my relationship, trying to rediscover myself. And then once the relationship didn't, didn't pan out, you know, I, I, I realized that, you know, I needed to definitely take some even more time to work out why it didn't. And to, you know, just reassess my core values and, you know, learn how to be a better person all in all.
0: Can I tell you something? I really respect that because I think a lot of people, this is can be very intoxicating to be on a show. And it's very hard for most people to walk away, not just because of the money that you can make, but also the, the recognition and all that comes with it. And so to walk away, I really have respect that you did that. How did that break impact the way you went back into the show?
1: Well, I think people can see uh, maybe a a bit of a similarities between my first season going out. And then, you know, the recent season I did, it was that season eight now, um, you know, whereas I went season one, I came back, I came in, you know, just being focused on the job at hand and just trying to go in, work hard, have fun and enjoy the ride, uh, learn as much as I could. Um, And I think I, you know, I needed to kind of, you know, I think I got a little big to my britches uh, after season two and I came, came in season three and, things were kind of going awry in my life uh, with the relationship and personal life and everything like that. And, and I just kind of, I lost my bearings. And so I, you know, took the time back to refigure everything out. So I think coming back and taking that time, you know, I, I, I feel like I, I tried to come back to just having fun, enjoying the ride, working hard, taking my job seriously and not, and not getting in and not putting myself into positions or thinking that I can put myself into a position that I could just get away with or do because I'm on a television show. Mm. You know, it's not, you know, this, this television show only lasts for, in my, in my mind, it, it's six, seven weeks of filming. And then I come right back to my normal life.
0: So Captain Lee must be an, an enormously um, influential person for you because I think he has done a good job of maintaining his privacy and his own life separate from the show.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, Captain Lee has been a mentor of mine, you know, since the day I met him and his ability to keep his private life private. But then at the same time, he's very vocal about what's important to him. And, you know, he uses the platform that he has has had the opportunity of getting uh, to talk about what's important and to advocate for his core values and his core beliefs. Um, and, and that's really admirable in my eyes. And so, you know, right now, like you know, obviously there's things that I'd like to advocate for, but at the same time, it's like, I don't think I'm at that point yet to be able to do that. And so I, I, you know, I, I try to keep quiet and I try to keep my mouth shut and keep my head down as much as I can. And, and, uh, and just, you know, stay humble, you know, just, just be so thankful for the opportunities that I was given to, to be on this television show and to have the opportunities and to have the learning experiences that I've that I've had. Um, And, and hopefully, how I, how I am on the show is you're able to see that. So,
0: Did you watch the show at all w- when you were taking that break? Or was it just like, I need to separate myself?
1: I, I, would wa- I would watch occasional episodes, you know, kind of like catch up, see what's going on. But for the most part, no, I, I don't really watch the show uh, outside of, of the episodes that I'm on.
0: And what did the people, the good people of the world of tugboats think of the show? Do they watch it or they're like, oh, we have no idea what you're talking about?
1: some of them do some of them do some of them don't some most of them don't really have any idea what what i'm what i'm talking about but it's (laughs) but you know like uh my crew that i'm with are all really supportive of me and the company i'm with is very supportive and uh, and allows me to take that time off which is very cool which is really yeah very cool to be able to do that um so i'm going to keep doing this you know that that's huge and i'm very thankful to the company for for that but uh yeah a lot of them are like yeah you're they're crazy. <laughs> yeah, they're they're not wrong. They're not wrong. They're not wrong. So you know.
0: new season starts, and now you're in Saint Kitts. The name of the super yacht is My Sienna, correct?
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah.
0: When you when you say that, how do you not break into Mamai Sharona, Mamai Sienna? Uh,
1: tr- trust me, that that happens a lot.
0: Yeah, that would drive me uh, definitely no, crazy. That,
1: yeah. Yeah, no, it definitely happens a lot. But because of, uh, you know, copyright issues, I don't think they they air that Oh,
0: well, that's good to know. Well, tell me about this boat and tell me about this crew because you are now, which must be so trippy, you're like a seasoned vet with Captain Lee (laughs) and you've got this ragtag group of crew members. You're now flipped and you're the seasoned pro. How many times this season did you want to slam your head against a wall?
1: Uh, almost every day I want to <laughs> slam my head against the wall. Uh, but you know, cause it, it's, you know, I, this, this boat is, but I've been on it before, but then, you know, all the crew that I get along with it, um, they've never been on it before. And so, you know, and, and the season is, it is a like ultra marathon sprint. Uh-huh. I mean, it is long and quick and grueling and there's no time to, to like do anything else. Like all you're doing is living and breathing that season and uh and it can be absolutely crazy and frustrating to have to like take the time to try to teach somebody how to do something and especially a new crews coming on they don't know where anything is they don't know how anything's really done i mean maybe someone have experience with cleaning everything like that but still like learning a new boat where everything is and all that is extensive extensive uh process and so it's you know it can be really difficult we know we got a new crew coming on but at the same time you're you you have a crew getting or a charter getting picked up in, you know, 24 hours, and it's insane. It's absolutely insane. So, pretty much from day one, I'm smacking my head against the wall, going, "What am I doing here again?" Yeah. But at the same time, it's you know, at the end of the charter when you you get a good charter out there, it's very satisfying, very rewarding, and and you feel great about it.
0: Okay, speed round. Do you get a roommate in your new position? Do you have to share a cabin with somebody?
1: Yes, I do. Yeah, I'm sharing a cabin with Fraser uh, this this season. He is probably one of the best roommates I've ever had. Oh, good. Clean is an under clean is an understatement.
0: I because I did wonder at you, at our age, would you ever be laying in a bunk bed looking at the ceiling and wondering why am I still living like a boy scout?
1: <laughs> there's there's always times, but you know it's like uh, you know, being working in this industry and, and being a uh, a professional sailor uh, you're gonna, you're gonna bunk with people sometimes. It's a, you're, you're lucky. It's, it's only really bad when you have to hot bunk with somebody. And that means when you hot bunking is when you have to share a bed with them. Oh,
0: sweet uh, Jesus. So that, like,
1: they get out. So like, you'll be sleeping and then it's your watch. So you get up, relieve them and they get in the same bed as oh, it's God. still hot. Wow. So that's why it's called hot bunking. Yeah.
0: Okay. Does anybody have to wash your underwear?
1: Um, no, I usually do my own. I usually do my own laundry. Okay, you know, okay. the, the stews, they've got enough going on.
0: Does anybody cook for you?
1: Yes. The chef is responsible for um, crew food.
0: Okay. And are you a high-maintenance person? Are you like, listen, I'm gluten-free, vegan? I am not high-maintenance
1: at all. I will eat pretty much anything. Okay. Pretty much anything.
0: If you were not working this job, do you think that there is a parallel life you would have been like? You would have been an excellent military officer, you know, corporate executive. In your parallel dreams, where where else do you think you would have been highly successful?
1: Well, you know, I I have a degree in adventure education, and right before I took this job, uh, um, working at Moran—I mean, working at um, on the tugboats and then working on uh, uh, on the show. I actually had a job offer being a, a mountaineer, a mountaineering guide in Oman in the Middle East. Oh wow! Uh, and so I was just about to leave out and do that, and when I got this position.
0: And then my last question is: Of all the people that are on this show, and you cannot say Captain Lee; he is not. You can't do it. Who are okay. we going to see you have the most memorable moments with?
1: Um, on this season coming up, you know. My, uh, the crew member, Jake and I have a pretty good time. He's got great energy. He is absolutely wild, (laughs) but I think, uh, some of the most memorable seasons, the most memorable crew member i probably ever was probably, uh, season one with my deckhand, Dave, you know, he and I, he and I had a great time together. We worked really hard and, uh, and we had a lot of fun along the way. He's a great guy.
0: And where can people follow you?
1: People can follow me on Instagram at Eddie Lucas, and they can also find me on Cameo.
2: Oh, and I can make And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Whether it's routine maintenance, an emergency repair, or a dream project, Angie lets you browse homeowner reviews, compare quotes from multiple local pros, and even book a service instantly. So the next time you have a home project, just Angie that and start getting the most out of your home. Download the free Angie mobile app today
0: or visit Angie.com. That's ANGI.com. Chris, tell the good people who are listening to this. On a scale of one to 10, how bizarre is this case?
2: I want to say an 11. It was so different from anything I feel like, like the case itself, from any other thing that I've watched or listened to. Like the fact that there was 11 people that were dead, they all died basically at the same time. And it was just from the beginning, from the episode one, you literally... Are just like, what happened here? Like, how is at all is this? Immediately, you're like, this has to be a murderer. It has to be a murderer. It has to be a murderer. It has to be a murderer. And then as the case unfolds, it's just so interesting to see like what actually happened. And it was, it's just, I was shell-shocked from the very first episode.
0: So they'd been living in this double-story house in a very poor neighborhood and in- in Barari for about 20 years. And the family ran a grocery shop and a plywood business in the area. In 2006, Lalit Chundarat's father, Bobal, died of natural causes. And after the death of their late father, Lalit became very introverted. And one day he told his family that he was possessed by his father's soul, who advised him, the ways to attain a good life. And since 2007, he had been maintaining a diary on his father's instructions. So 10 of the 11 people, two men, six women, two teens, were found hanging in the courtyard of the house, as mentioned. They were blindfolded. Their mouths were taped. Some of the bodies had their hands and feet tied as well. And as mentioned, the other woman, the grandmother, was found dead in the other room. So at first, you're trying to figure out how is it possible that they could all die the same way and they're again bound tape over their 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 eyes and with cotton in their mouth which is also strange. So as it unfolds and the pet dog of the family was the only survivor in the house he was chained on the chained on the terrace and suffering from high fever when the police found him. And again, this is in a very packed neighborhood so the idea of this just going on uh you know amongst a community of people is crazy. So what's interesting is that In the days before, they had all purchased stools. And so then police find these 11 diaries in the house, all of them maintained for the period of 11 years. The Joint Commissioner of Police said that we have found handwritten notes detailing how hands and legs are to be tied and are quite similar in the manner in which the bodies of the 10 persons that were found. And there are exhaustive notes and we are studying them. And then those details provided in the diaries matched how the bodies were found the face is covered, mouth's taped, and the cotton balls in the ears. And the diary also mentions, everyone will tie their own hands, and when the ritual is done, everyone will help each other untie their hands, indicating that the family was not expecting to die. And one of the men had his fingers kind of unwound as if he had struggled to try to undo himself. So psychologists have commented that these deaths are a ritual, a result of shared psychotic disorder, in which members of a group blindly trust one among them and follow instructions without questioning and psychologists debate whether lalit suffered from a delusional disorder how in the world was he able to convince all these family members that this was that basically this was an instruction from the deceased father
2: Um, I think that we live our lives very different from the way that they do. Like there's a hierarchy in the family that like we as Americans don't really have anymore that like you, you give respect to your like the eldest man or like kind of just like the head of the household and you kind of follow suit with what happens based on what they think. And so it's interesting because we kind of don't, think that way anymore. I was watching it with my boyfriend and his mother and we were all talking about it the whole time. I was like, but still, like, how do you convince these people to do this? It was, it really, really was very interesting to think about. And I still am thinking about it today. I watched it a couple of nights ago and I'm still thinking about it today.
0: And the fact that they would allow their children to participate in it. I mean, it, and I have to tell you when it started, I just kept thinking this is some sort of religious ceremony. It has to be. But then I think that the diaries really were surprising and what a, what a find by the way, because they could have been gone in circles for years and years about what had happened, but the diaries really were the key, the key uh, way of figuring out the the puzzle of this case.
2: Well, and exactly what you said, it's, it's, they didn't, There were no like defensive wounds. Mostly, there were no like it was for all for all that we know they were doing this willingly, and so it's interesting that they found out that like no none of these people believed that they were going to die whenever they did this. That part was at least a little comforting that they didn't know what they were getting themselves into. That you didn't think that because because from the beginning you're thinking oh this entire family just killed themselves just to do it. You know what I mean? And it's like why would anyone ever do something like that? It doesn't make any sense that like three generations of a family would all want to and their lives. And so it was very, very interesting to watch as it unfolded, like that clearly they had kind of been groomed and brainwashed from like years and years of following these diaries and believing that it's their, you know, the patriarch grandfather, like speaking through one of the sons. It was, it was a very interesting. And I think another thing that really struck me was that their friends are in the documentary. And all they say is about how, like we never for one second knew that any of this was happening. like their neighbors, their friends, like all the people that were in their lives that weren't blood and didn't live in that house, none of them had suspected anything at all, at all.
0: And then you think about, there are probably a house of secrets everywhere. (laughs) People probably in my own neighborhood that things are going on. And the fact that it could be a group shared psychotic disorder is probably not as unusual as one would think, especially in times of struggle I, it I feel like the longer I think about this the the more it upsets me that there are probably cases where this is likely to happen
2: when I think it's it's exactly and I think that that's something that they say at the in the last episode a lot is they talk a lot about the fact that they need to be speaking about these things more and like these secrets can't be kept because, this stuff will continue to happen if like you're never allowed to tell anyone what goes on inside your house. You know what I mean? If you're like these people needed to be able to say something and even think about like the 15 year old, the friend was like, Hey, want to play? Like, and he was like, no, not today. Like Mm -hmm. tomorrow. Meanwhile, he like was, you know, walking up the stairs to go to his death. Basically. It's crazy to think that this one man claiming to be speaking for his father had so much control over the lives of these people
0: and it's not a case of fam- familicide because as you said they didn't plan to die so you can't you can't re- wrap your brain around it as easily
2: it reminded me a little bit of the heaven's gate cult because like they it's not at all the same but they kind of like knew that they were going to be doing this ritual and they were like willing to be doing the ritual, all because this one person said something. Yes, did mm-hmm. the heavens gate people know that they were going to con- like that they were going to die on Earth? Yes, but they believed that they were rising up to go meet their their uh, creator and like their um, leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like in the spaceship. So it's like they actually were like, no, I'm leaving this body and going like I, my life is continuing on in the, in this other realm. So it's like, and just, I don't know, it reminded me a lot of that because it's like, how do you convince your followers to, and what is the point of wanting, of a leader wanting to have themselves and the followers commit suicide or like want to end their lives? You know what I mean? It's like, if we can't all be in this together anymore, I'm going to like wipe everyone out.
0: And the systematic brainwashing over a course of Mm -hmm. 11 years you know that that yeah. one as yeah like you said that one man's power and that they all participated at his at his urging and I, you can't help but just wonder in the last moments what that panic must have felt like
2: and I wonder if they knew what was happening I don't know it's very hard and that, that's the other thing is that you see that they're they're collecting all the supplies to do this themselves and mm-hmm. so it's very interesting that you're seeing these people like because you keep wanting to think no there's no way that they did this there's no way that they did this and then you keep watching it and it's like oh my god they like knew this was gonna happen i feel bad it, it's it's it was a heartbreak it was not for the faint of heart don't watch this if you don't want to be very upset yeah. but it was a very thought-provoking and i think another thing that really was interesting is seeing that like i don't know if this was comforting or even more horrifying but the fact that like the media had kind of sensationalized it hardcore i was like oh we're not the only country that does this so like sensational oh things but then also i'm like oh but also i don't want any <laughs> you know what i mean like it's also really upsetting that every country does this but it was like watching all that footage of them doing like a ghost hunters show in the in the apartment and then like they kept doing these like news reports with like the nooses like hanging around and stuff that and it was, was so like fu- it was messed up
0: i feel like people who love psychological thrillers really interesting true crime documentaries this is right up your alley you're gonna think about it for a couple of days I love you dearly. Tell everybody about your new podcast. I was a recent guest and had the best time.
2: Yes, best you were. We thank you so much for doing it. I have created a new podcast with my uh co-host Zero Waste Stand and the you all know, the podcast is called this is not sustainable and it's a little bit about uh, sustainability a little bit about just answering advice questions and then obviously a little bit a little bit about talking to our guests and you are a guest on our podcast and we we you know we talk a little bit about how you get, how you got started um you are our fourth episode and we talk about your podcast and then also just like you being a mother of five how you uh, you know try to make things as waste free as possible
0: yeah well, it's hard. Uh, these animals. It's very hard. No, it's not. It's not easy, lot. and that's and our podcast is
2: no judgment, and it's um we just meet everyone where they are, and that's not you know you don't have to be an expert, you don't have to be in anything to be uh, to be a part of it, and um it's really fun to be talking to so many people about like sustainability, trying to do little life hacks, and also just answering advice. You can find the show This Is Not Sustainable anywhere you get podcasts. And um, it's This Is Not Sustainable on TikTok, which we have a few videos with a million views. And um, the podcast is at This Is Not Sustainable Pod.
0: Thank you, Chris.
2: Thank you so much. Love talking to you always.
0: The amazing Kate Casey. I want to thank my great guests, Eddie and Chris and remind you to join the Facebook group Reality Life with Kate Casey, to leave a 5-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. I'm so appreciative of all the love and support. I'm a one-man band. I love it, love it, love it. Thank you for supporting me. Also, you can find me on Instagram at, at @katekcc, CA, where you can see all the shows that I'm watching. I put out a list every week on Mondays. It will come to your inbox if you go to kkc.substack.com, you will get that. It is worth it. I will tell you what to watch each week. You can find me on Twitter at at Kate Casey. My Patreon with bonus episodes, extra episodes, is at Patreon, dot com backslash Kate Casey. And I can't wait to circle back with you on Friday for another great episode. Have a great week.